Hi, it's Priscilla Almquist Olson here with the series Growing Up in Easton. And today I am so glad that I found this fellow uh, on the streets of Easton. And 15 minutes ago, I asked him to come over to the studio and record. This is Ivan Rosenberg, my classmate from 1960, Olverheims High School. And I am so excited that he's here and that he can share his childhood memories of Easton. He hasn't been back in 55 years. Wow. I'm really impressed. And we are all honored that he has made this trip to show his family his roots. So Ivan Rosenberg, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Great. Well, it's wonderful to see you. And you haven't changed a bit. Uh, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> well, I know. I, saw, I recognized you right away uh, some years back when you were on HGTV. Oh, yes. And I, even before the, uh, the designer said, Ivan, I knew it was you, and called Kathy, Kelly, Kathy Burke Kelly right away, and I said, put on your television right now, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see Ivan. It's wonderful that you've come back and that you treasure your hometown and are willing to appear today and share your memories. So we thank you. What is the um, earliest? What are the earliest memories that you have of growing up in Easton? Well, I, I remember going to the grammar school in downtown Northeastern. I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember being there. That was mm -hmm. the. Uh, I don't actually remember any school before that. So that was really the first school that I remember. Uh, at the time, we were living down in Southeastern on a chicken farm, really? which has since been not there anymore, I think, and part of it is now the center school. But uh, we lived in an apartment um, over the, um, the person that owned the farm, and uh, every day I took a bus up to Northeastern. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, what do you remember especially about the grammar school? Oh. Uh, well, I hadn't thought about this, but discipline. <laughs> I had not been used to discipline, and uh, it was pretty rigorous, uh, having to do whatever we had to do, prepare for school and stuff like that. But uh, that was my earliest memories of it, is that uh, you had to do what people tell you to do. And you did? Yes, I did. I was a, a good student. Yes, and that is probably the reason that when you and I graduated, uh, we were voted by our classmates. <laughs> he knows what's coming. Yes. Ivan and I were voted most studious. And uh, anyway, that characterizes us. But you also had a great sense of humor. Uh, and uh, we're in the senior class play. Uh, what was something to do with a homicide? Uh, home sweet homicide, I think. That's something it. like that. I right. remember sitting on a... Uh, I think I was sitting on a bench with the girl, and uh, there was a lot of uh, speculation about whether we were going to kiss or not. I, my memory is somewhat <laughs> foggy about all this, but I know kissing publicly was not okay in those days, right. that's for sure. We were, it was a pretty straight culture at that time. Uh, getting, having alcohol was probably about as far out as... Uh, Probably like taking heroin is today, or maybe not. I think worse. I think I think the worst anybody ever did was have beer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting drunk was. I mean, that you was and it. I didn't do that, but I mean, I no. know there were classmates who did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, speaking strange. of benches. I think it's actually funny, by the way, that here are the two that were uh, elected most studious, and here we are both in a studio. 
Oh, very funny. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you always were rather corny, and I, we, I always appreciated it. Yes. Uh, yes. And um, it's great you haven't changed. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, but speaking of benches, did you, I imagine that you never got to sit on Miss McFadden's white bench at the grammar school. <sighs> I do recall, now I think this was, that was, you're talking, Miss McFadden was the principal in the grammar school? Yep. I don't think I got in trouble there, although I do remember a civics class and um, with the teacher, which we finally called uh, Little Richard. Oh, that was John Mason. That was who it was. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the class, it was civics. But I remember um, that I did get in trouble because I really loved that civics. Uh -huh. And um, uh, there was some question he asked that was all multiple choice. And there was one question he asked that wasn't obvious. I mean, it wasn't, you had a, if you really understood the issue, you knew that there were two possible answers. And I said, well, I don't know. So I chose one of them and it wasn't the one he wanted. And um, I went up to him after, said, so, well, you know, you could choose that one or you could do this. Well, this is the right answer. And my father went berserk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can't remember my interaction with little Richard, but um, I did end up on a bench. In the, and, uh, and he got in trouble, actually, because he was, he was um, penalizing somebody for knowing more than he did. Oh, boy. Wow. So that was the only thing. But most of the time, I was pretty... I was the goody two-shoes. Yes, and so was I. Yeah. We were two goody two-shoes, yes. yeah. Um, well, that was, uh, Mr. Mason was director of athletics, and so it was often he was talking more about sports than, uh, and we could get him to talk about sports instead of civics. Mm. Uh, but I like that class, too. Uh, it's something that isn't really covered uh, in uh, the, the Eastern curriculum, and I think it uh, needs to be brought back. Civics is not? Nope. Unbelievable. Nope. It's history. Well, they cover I know my daughters, you know, they're taking government and things like that, which but you've got to understand that kind of thing. Right. And, and the problem is, I mean, I've, there was a time when I got really interested in education and trying to improve it. My, my first wife was a school teacher and a principal. And, um, you know, I mean, the big difference that I thought at time, and the greatest teachers that I remember are the ones that taught us to think rather than to memorize data. Yeah, and we were talking earlier, that right. was? That was... Um, I keep remembering. Miss Foster. Miss Foster's English 13. Yeah. And uh, English 13 um, was a class open only to seniors. It was non-credit. Um, if you, I, I, it, it was once you dropped out, you could never get back in. Um, and it was the last period of the day. And it was tough. It was the toughest class I ever took. And um, it involved uh, really studying literature and English and writing. We went into Boston and saw plays and talked about it. It was thinking critically. And in all the, I would say in the 12 years I went to school, um, that was the class that I remember the most. Um, I remember, <laughs> to remember one of, there was a physics class, which I think was senior year, I don't remember. But during the previous summer, I had gone up to Thayer Academy, okay. Thayer Academy in the yep. summer school, and I learned how to use a slide rule. And so I brought the slide rule into class, and of course the other students, you may have been among them, protested that I had <laughs> unfair advantage because I had this new thing called a slide rule. 
And he was great. I don't remember the teacher, but he was great in that he said, look, it's not, that has nothing to do with physics. That's just math. And this is the class on math. And if he wants to use it, and if those of you would like to learn how to use a slide rule, I'll teach a class during lunch or something like that. Oh, how nice. Which was, uh, so I thought he you know, was. that Mr. Remember, Simpson? Attitude. Excuse me? Was that Mr. Simpson? He taught chemistry. That does sound familiar, but it was a physics class yes, that I, I know. think I took. Mm. But it does sound like it was him. And, I, and those were the kind of things I remember and you, academically. And you certainly so, remember Val Moscato. I definitely remember Muzzy, yes. Um, coach. Yeah. And... Um, those, it was great. I, I played football. I ran track. Um, I think those were the two sports I was in. Mm -hmm. And um, I, there was a couple of things I learned from that. And I think it was, um, geez, it's been, it's been so long, I forgot. It's not until you get asked questions like this that you really remember what you learned. Mm. It's like what I remember I was interviewed about the Boy Scouts once, and I had forgotten the fundamental lessons. And you know, I just thought, remember, I played football. But what I got from Muzzy was um, to go beyond what I felt in the moment. When you're out there playing, we played both ways in those days. So we played both defense and offense. And that doesn't mean we didn't, you know, didn't get a rest and they exchanged. But most of, the, most of the time, if you were first string, played the whole game most of the whole game. And you're pretty tired. Mm. Um, and, uh, and we played in some lousy weather. Um, we were also, um, well, what I learned from him was it didn't make any difference what you felt. You know, you felt tired, you hurt. Uh, it, you know, the, you had a job to do. And you had to go do that job. And uh, I also learned um, it wasn't, to be competitive wasn't personal. You could go out there and really play hard against somebody else, and then you know you go out and be friends. And that in the world of business, uh, people often forget that mm -hmm. um, that that you, if you're really interested in being the best you can be, you got to have competition. Good point. You won't do it by yourself. Right. A great. You look at these great Olympic athletes, and almost many of them train with their best competitor, mm -hmm. the one that they, they need to beat. And they train together mm -hmm. because only by training with somebody great will you be able to be great. And, mm -hmm. and there was something about um, being with Muzzy that, you know, I didn't like practicing. I didn't like staying in shape. I didn't like <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, and yet... Um, I, we did all those things. And I remember um, I chose, he wanted me to be a miler. And I said, no, that's way too long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't want to hurt for six minutes or five minutes, whatever the heck it was. So I went the 100-yard dash. <laughs> I figured, OK. I said, I told him, the medals that you get for the 100-yard dash are exactly the same as the medals you get for the mile. <laughs> so, so I ran the mile and the, and the uh, 220. And the 220 hurt. Um, you, you were hurting. And, uh, and I learned how to go through pain in that, which was very useful for me. I went, when I, I went to Cornell afterwards, and uh, I rode crew for four years. Oh. And you know, talk about avoiding the mile. Crew is just 
like the mile, you're, it's even worse um, because you're, um, well, it crews a whole different thing. It's a, it's right. a, it's, it's a unique well, it's, sport. It's endurance, it's perseverance. Yeah. And I think those were the qualities that Muzzy instilled in us. And also the heart issues, you know, the soul, uh, respecting the other side and getting along with and your- And team. And teamwork, right. You're yeah. part of a team and don't try to be a big shot and stick out. Oh yeah, that was absolutely a big thing. Um, you know, I, I never, I wasn't one of the, um, the, uh, the big guys, in fact, we, we, um, I, the only person I remember from the class before us was Budgie Campbell. Oh, yeah. But it was his, uh, his group were, were these spectacular athletes, and particularly on the football field. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the, the actual um, record was, but I recall they were essentially undefeated for four years. Right. So the rest of us were second string. And then the, uh, and so they were all the heroes, and the next year, you know, we were all who had been second string, all of a sudden got to be first string, and everybody was gunning for us that year. What, so th this was the memory that I remember the most was the Thanksgiving Day game. Oh boy. And Charlie Peterson had been our class president, had been killed in an auto accident the year before. Paul Kelly had taken over as president. And we created the Charlie Peterson Memorial Trophy um, as the winner of that game, for the oh. winner of that game. Now Randolph, the year before, had gotten so tired of losing the Thanksgiving Day game that they had said they weren't going to play us anymore. I don't know why we set this up the way we set it up, but in any case, we went into, my recollection is, we went into that Thanksgiving Day game uh, with, a, with a record of four and four, and against Randolph, who had all states, you know, they were all state quarterback, all state halfback, um, I think I may have made an honorable mention as the right tackle on, but uh, we, we were not, we were not up to Budgie Campbell and everybody was out after us. And, um, and I do remember that game and my recollection is we won 16 to eight. Wow. And- um, Do you think part of it was because um, you were coming, you were doing it for Charlie as well? Yeah. There was no way we were gonna not win that trophy. Yeah. I mean, I still feel it today. Yeah. Um, that's why we talk about team and we talk about going beyond. That's why that game, um, I remember it yeah, so, so well. Much. There was just, uh, we were maniacs. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean there was just no yeah. way. And yeah. of course, um, but our skill wasn't, our, our passion right. was more than our skill. And we were playing against a team that had skill but didn't have the passion that we had. Mm. So it takes both, and I think Muzzy, oh, yeah. Muzzy taught, uh, taught you guys that, that you need both, and, um, yeah, and you funny. had tremendous camaraderie too, as I recall. Uh, yeah, and I wouldn't have said that at the time. You know, I just was, yeah. it's very interesting that looking back at that, right. I can see that. So what else did you learn growing up in Easton uh, that helped you with your career? Um, and your career choices and some of the decisions you made along the way? Well, <laughs> the, um, the most significant decision was, uh, so the Ames Free Library was a huge impact on my life. Um, I read voraciously and um, um, I remember we were confined to the children's section of the uh -huh. library, yeah. but the science fiction was in the adult section and I'm a science fiction nut. And um, so they gave me special permission. 
But here's the significant day. So, and I, there was a couple of us that were book fanatics. We were going to junior high school. Is that the yellow building? Yep. Yep. So we're going to junior high school, which is very close to the library. And of course, we, we read almost everything. And this one day, uh, well, we knew that there was a new shipment of books coming in. So the librarian knew us well. And she said, there's a new shipment of books coming in on this day. So we could barely stay in school that day. <laughs> and the end of the day, three or four of us ran to the library. I mean, I, I can remember, we ran because we wanted, whoever got there first got their first pick. And I'm running down, which you're not supposed to do in the library, but I'm running down the, the, the aisle of the of library. And off to the right, I see this shiny green cover, which looked to me like it was a new book. I had no idea what it was. And I grabbed it two seconds before whoever else I was running with. And it was the boy's first book of radio and electronics. No way. <laughs> and that was it. That and was it. I, um, I, that became my hobby. I, um, I became a radio amateur. Um, I went to Cornell in electrical engineering, um, went on to computer science. And even though thereafter, in my, for my doctorate and all, I got more into the people side. And my consulting today is more the people side. Um, I consult in aerospace and defense primarily. And primarily the people I'm working with are engineers. And the fact that I have that engineering mentality, right. that I think like an engineer, has made me really successful. I've, um, I was the most successful consultant at Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, they, I worked there as a consultant for well, close to 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I did the culture change there. I had I had trained over 1,300 people. Wow! And I mean, they were all they were people who had 100 people waitlisted for my class, um, because I took the people skills which I had learned, mm -hmm. but I was able to speak them in engineering because I fought like engineer. Right. And it all started with that book. Yeah. And it started with that library, and that wow something up. I don't know what gave me the love of reading. Maybe it was my parents. But here's this small town of 7,000 mm -hmm. people. And we had the most, one of the most magnificent libraries. Right. And in a phenomenal building, which is still there. And with people, and it was free, you know, and that was, mm -hmm. uh, it was an amazing resource. I, I mean, I got to learn about the world. I remember I got interested in civil in the Civil War, and there were books, and I could go off and read about the Civil mm -hmm. War. Um, well, and now um, at the Historical Society, the depot, I pointed uh, out uh, William Chafin's book. Now he was uh, the the pastor at the Unity Church, and he in eighteen uh, during the eighteen eighties, I think eighteen eighty six, he published this book. And it talks about the earliest settlers and everything from 1886 on, on back. And it's a fabulous, fabulous book. Um, and uh, there are so many wonderful stories. And it's amazing how many people, um, wonderful people who were inventors mm. and uh, uh, were, and were um, they were in the frontier of so many uh, different activities and ventures and, and industries from Easton. It wasn't just the Ameses. And I think that book makes us remember 
uh, the, the doctors and the uh, engineers and the other people, the writers and other people who have uh, gone on and made a national impact. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we, we tend to, when we were growing up, it was all about the Ameses, but there are many other families who contributed magnificently also, and you'll get to read about that in that book. Good, so, w wonderful resource. I think there's something unique about Easton. Uh, and I don't know, I've never lived in other, any other small town. But um, we weren't an ordinary town. I think the Ames made us special. Yep. And um, the resources that we have here made us special. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we come back. It's not... And it's also, I think it's a big reason why most of us uh, were very independent. Hmm. and uh, self-sufficient and became very successful. Um, maybe not always financially successful, but successful in whatever profession we chose because we had that, uh, well, we had, we had that respect for our, our roots and we wanted to honor that. And it was almost the same respect that we had for our parents, that we wouldn't want to do anything that would dishonor oh, them. Yes. Oh, no. And uh, the same with, with, mm -hmm. with the town. We're very proud. And um, I think that was a great uh, beginning for mo many of us. Yeah, I think, uh, interesting what you say, because I think there was respect of the students by the teachers. Yes, but also I mean, respect we were, by the students of, of the, the teachers. teachers. Right, there was this mutual, mutual uh, I respect. Mean, yeah, we didn't like everybody and you know, all that, but. It, there was, I, I don't ever remember being put down. I mean, you know, but like English yeah. 13 and stuff like that. I remember um, being inspired um, rather than put down. And whatever you did was okay, but I never felt disrespected. No, uh, And no. that was, so I, and I came out of this town, definitely I can do whatever I want to do. And Thanks. my father gave me that a lot too. Yeah. I um, I realized um, I actually told him that he I was with him the week before he died and uh, we were I was going through okay what do I need to say and um, and one of the things I I said to him was um, one of the things I got from him and it may have come from the town as well was um, I could do anything I want to do if I want to do it badly enough mm -hmm. the, the limits are not coming from the outside and I didn't see any limits here either. It was all up to you. Um, you want to earn money? There were ways to earn money. You, uh, there was, um, and you're right about the independence. I mean, it was a safer world then too. But you know, me and my you know, guys, we would go to the woods on the other end of Bridge Street and and, and play for hours in the woods, and um, you know, we were completely on our own. And we'd go to the park, and, and you know, I, I don't know that you can do that now. I don't know anything about Easton, but certainly where I live. You know, it's, it's less, you're less able to do that. Yeah, well, you're in L.A., but on the outskirts, right? Yes, right. Mm. Well, uh, today we have helicopter parents, we call them. Uh, they hover yes. over their kids. Uh, the, uh, even if there's just a block or two to walk when they get off the school bus, the parents are there either with their cars or without waiting at the corner to escort their children home. It gets kind of ridiculous. And, uh, and as a result, the children are not as... Uh, independent and self-sufficient and don't have this, uh, in many ways, don't have the same, they may be independent according to today's standards, but they don't at all compete with, with the way we were. No, uh, maybe. No, no. And I remember being, I told this before on the show, I remember being eight years old and um, going to shovel, to Fred's Pond to go skating. And my sister was seven, my late sister Karen was seven, and my mother said two things, 
look both ways when you cross Main Street, <laughs> and don't skate near the thin ice. Right. Now, can you imagine a parent of an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old today saying that, let alone, I mean, they would always accompany them and, and be watching and careful and all. And we'd meet all our friends, neighborhood right. and classmates, would all meet up there. And uh, the boathouse is still there uh, that wow. we would uh, put, change our skates on. And yeah. So it was, uh, we had an advantage in that right. regard. Um, and it is a different world today. Um, so we have to give that. But um, we, we, we got so much. Now tell me, um, what did you do in the winter? as a kid growing up? For fun? Well, I shoveled sidewalk. I earned money. <laughs> yeah. We shoveled driveways. I delivered the Sunday paper. That I do remember from um, so O'Connor's. O'Connor's new store. Yep. You so picked I, up the Enterprise, right? The Brockton Enterprise? Yep, yep. The Sunday paper. I had, yep. a wa I had a wagon, a wooden wagon. I think they provided that. And we would bundle up the papers on the wagon on Sunday morning. I remember the winter time particularly. And uh, we each had our own route, and we would deliver the papers and come back, and then we would get paid for however many papers we had delivered. Um, uh, I can't remember. There was something in it. I always suspected whether the counting was, was, was accurate or not. I uh -huh. don't know. Now, that's when you lived on Center Street. I lived on Center Street my entire time, other than that time in South, South I see. Eastman. Yeah, and that was right across from the Stone House, the corner of Park and Center. Yep. Now, my best friend there, Colin Farrell, I think. I don't remember. Colin, Colin something or other lived in that Stone House. I see. But yeah. I, and he was my best friend. And he was one year ahead of me, I think. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, neighborhood, the neighborhood kids, huh? Yeah. yeah. He was more, even more intellectual than I was. And then, um, God, I can't remember the names of the people that we would go off into the woods with, but that was, that was our big thing, you know, cowboys and Indians in those days or sure. whatever we made up. We would make up some game. And that was the thing. We were able to make up games. I mean, TV came along in the late 50s. Uh, at least we got a TV. Well, I think yeah. my family got it in 49. Okay, maybe but we early. were the only ones in the neighborhood. Yeah, it was in the 50s somewhere. Early 50s, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so most of the time, we were ourselves. So I, let's see, so there was that, sidewalks, uh, sledding, um, and um, I also learned how to play the piano, so I, was, I had that. Who was your teacher? I don't remember. Was, was it Molly McNamara? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Yeah. Do Probably. you still play today? Not much. No. no. I, can, I can play, but I don't. We don't, yeah. have a, we don't have a piano in the house anymore, but I plan to get an electric for my daughter, and maybe I'll pick it up again. Good, good. And how about the summertime? What did you do in the summer? Um, God, Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah, tell us about that. I remember, didn't you become an a, a Eagle Scout? Yeah, I was an Eagle. I know. I, you're yeah. the only one I remember. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, in fact, it's not only was an Eagle, I am an Eagle. Uh -huh. There's a difference. Oh. See, the... See, it's and I was president of the Boy Scout Council at one point, and I've been on, I was on a national council up until recently. Um, see, for every other uh, uh, badge within, you know, the first class and the second class and the star in life, that's an award that you earn. Mm -hmm. But an eagle is different. You know, it's almost like um, once you're president of the United States, you're always president of the United States, uh -huh. and how you behave. Oh, I see. Reflects mm. on the presidency. Yeah, the institution. You aren't you, aren't you anymore. Right. You're more than that. And it's the same with eagles. 
um, once you're an eagle, that's um, you now be something different, oh. and, and your behavior now reflects on other eagles. I see. And you know, when they say you're an eagle scout, they don't say you're a life scout or a star scout or whatever. They distinguish those who have accomplished eagle. Mm -hmm. And it really is different, and it carries its own responsibility. And it was work. I remember uh, the last badge I had to get was um, had something to do with athletics. I don't remember, but that was my last badge. And you had to get a basketball through the hoop a certain number of times in a certain number of uh, minutes. Uh, minutes. And that, I, that was during the winter that I actually got that. And I'm out there, and I had to clear the snow about the basketball court <laughs> and practice. And I found it was the hardest thing I had to do. I got everything else done. But during the summer, I was, um, I'd go to Camp Squanto. Oh, yeah. Down in Plymouth mm -hmm. area, Plymouth Plantations, whatever they called it. And um, I was there as a scout for many years, and then I was there as a counselor for a number of years until I uh, left the area. Mm -hmm. wow. So I was involved in Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts first, and all the way through, and that was also a major impact now, on my life. Now, wasn't your mother a Cub Scout leader? Yeah, I'm sure she was. Yeah, I'm sure she was a den mother. A den mother, right. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't remember specifically, but that would be my mother. See, I remember your mother very fondly. Uh, I do. She was tall, brunette, and uh, had a very sweet smile, and yeah. she, she, was, she was a great lady. She was. She was one of those women. Had she been born today or in this generation, mm. uh, she would have had a career. Right. She would have been a leader. She was really smart. Mm. But she grew up in a time when women were take right. home and, and family, and their first job was taking care of the kids and That's cooking it. and taking care of the house. Yep. And they weren't supposed to be smarter or bigger than their husbands. And uh, uh, she did pretty well, given that so society limitation. Yeah. Um, and I remember... When she wore pants for the first time, and that was <laughs> that was a big deal. She was that was her um, that was her. She was a feminist, uh -huh. but um, in many many ways, um, just did great in bringing me up. Although I did have also the um, the impact of all of us growing up at that time, which was uh, for at least us males, when we did something wrong. Wait till your father comes home. Oh, right. <laughs> so that and was your a, father was a dentist. He was. DDS, actually. He was a doctor of dental surgery. I see. And uh, Which meant he actually did surgery over Brockton Hospital, but he had an own practice. And um, when he actually, when he, let, when he got old enough and decided to retire, um, he moved to Florida. And he went on and got a master's, I think, in gerontology. He said that was the one field where they couldn't hold his age against him. <laughs> <laughs> so he did a, much research uh -huh. in that area. Is that right? Interesting guy. Yeah. yeah. Right up to the day he died. Yeah. And um, I know my mother was, uh, she's in the All of Rames Hall of Fame, uh, Athletic Hall of Fame. Ah. And, um, you know, that's where she excelled. And I think women in her day, like your mother, uh, had to choose other fields besides uh, yes. professions. But the same with my mother. If she had lived today, she would have been a, a CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, she was the one that taught me how to write. She was really very, very smart, too. And wow. um, I, I think about that. But I became a feminist also and worked very hard uh, in the 60s. That was one of the three movements, if you remember, the civil rights, mm -hmm. the anti-war, and the women's yep. rights. So I, uh, and, and that led me to go to law school because mm. as a school teacher, um, and I was lobbying at the State House, and this is in Michigan, 
I wasn't taken very seriously. Mm. Oh, just a country little teacher. And uh, a, f a friend of mine who, whom I had been her campaign manager uh, and won on a write-in for the first time in the history of Michigan, uh, she went to law school. So I thought, hmm, okay, I can get some credibility here. And wow. in, in, in terms of the issues that I thought were important. So, uh, you know, in life, there are always circumstances and people that influence the direction and the choices mm -hmm. that, that uh, one makes. And I think in your case, you, um, when you were, got your master's uh, at Rensselaer, was it uh, Rensselaer Polytech? No, Cornell. It was at Cornell you got your master's, then you got your PhD at Rensselaer? At um, University of Rochester. Oh, Rochester, University of Rochester. And what was that in? Uh, business. My PhD is in business. Right, it's in business. Business and management. Right, so you combined your engineering mm -hmm. background and, uh, um, and that was a springboard for your future in, in being a coach and, uh, and so forth. So tell us a little bit about, about that. What do you do? What do I do today? Do you go into a corporation that has a, a problem with employees, uh, motivating them, or has a, uh, a financial uh, need, or what are, what, are, what are the kinds of needs that you directly deal with and, and impact on? Well, it's generally, um, so, so what we do that is different than other, we're management consultants. And what we do is we, um, we help our clients solve problems that look difficult or impossible. Mm -hmm. We only do what's called breakthroughs. We don't do any incremental stuff. So we do, um, we've, uh, example, um, somebody couldn't figure out, the project, the client was willing to pay 15 million. My client couldn't figure out how to do it for less than 20. Okay. Uh, which was going to be a real problem. Right. They weren't going to get it, and uh, we helped them figure out how to do it for 14-2. Wow. So that I means to cut it 25% off without cutting the capability. Um, so uh, there's generally three things we do. We do a specific problem like that, which really got us into aerospace, because mm -hmm. um, I, where I live, jet propulsion lab, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab is about 20 minutes away. And I got introduced in there, and I taught them how to produce breakthroughs, and that's the kind of thing they're always dealing with. There's a whole funny story about that. And then the second thing we deal with is uh, helping people work together. So you, like you mentioned, uh, where employees are not getting along well, where, um, where they uh, need to build a team, where they're having relationships with another company, um, all the things that get in the way of people not working well together. And then the third thing we do is coach and train people executives and leaders, how to have their people produce breakthroughs. So I've trained probably about 4,500 people, something like that. Wow. And, that, at least, and that's just the training part, not counting the other kind of work that I do. I've probably done a strategic planning for probably over 100 organizations. Wow. So are these, um, do you ever do work for non-for-profits? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of, you know, lots of times. Mm -hmm. And I've been on the board of not-for-profits and mm -hmm. generally um, what they call me in for is what the same kind of work I do for for-profits. Some not-for-profit is um, either having um, arguments inside or is not clear how they're going to get to the next step or whatever their issue mm. is. Um, and I, that's generally the kind of stuff I either help them with either as a consultant or as a, um, on the board. And, and what would you say, looking back, what was the most important uh, thing you learned here growing up in Easton that 
impacted your career and the kind of work that you do? What has made you, what values or what, uh, can we say, impacted your success in, right now as you, you're still working, I understand? Well, oh yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll work till the right. day I die. Exactly. Because um, it's not work for me. Yeah. I think the biggest, what comes to mind when you ask that question, and it relates a little bit to the thing you said before, I'm a change agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think our whole class has that kind of, we grew up in a time when um, change was clearly needed and we were determined to make that change. The three movements you mentioned, civil rights and women's movement and the war in Vietnam. People had strong opinions really? about on both sides mm-hmm. on, on those things. And, um, and we cared. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what got us into it, but we cared. And um, it, we were going to do something about it. There were, I, don't think, I don't know how the other class members are, but certainly as a generation, mm-hmm. that generation that came out, we were, the, we were the ones that went out and paraded. There were people that gave their lives. Right for what they believed in. And uh, you don't see parades today. Yeah. You don't see the same kind of thing. Um, the, the generations today, I, I think particularly the millennial, and I've done a lot of studying of, of generations. Mm-hmm. So um, we're the boomer generation. Oh, we are. Right? And the, the characteristic of the boomer generation is if you, what we did in our research is we were able to get the worldview of each generation down to a single sentence. Really? So, and, and by the way, the generations rota- um, cycle. So there's only four types of generations, and they cycle around over and over and over again. And each, um, each cycle of four generations is about 80 to 100 years, and each generation is about 20 to 25 years. Um, the silent generation, uh, their worldview is, uh, let's compromise. Let's take the best from everybody and put it together. Uh, and that's the generation being born now as well. The generation we were in, the, the boomers, um, our worldview is what's important are my values, and I cannot compromise. In large part, the Congress of today is being dominated by boomers. And there's boomers on the left, and there's boomers on the right. And George Bush was a boomer president, and so was Clinton. You know, they values generated, and I can't compromise them. Uh, the most extreme view of that is the most public view is the, um, uh, the Tea Party. Uh, I think it's called Tea yeah, Party. Yeah, Tea Party on the right. Yeah, that's a, on the right. That's an example of, of that kind of view. And there's people on the left that have the same kind of thing. It's not the left or right. And the, the Gen Xers who were born after us, their, uh, their view is um, um, what's important are my own goals. You know, and and, and I, they, they don't, the rest of it's a con, and they're very individualistic. And then the millennials who are born early 80s to early 2000s are, uh, let's change the world together. So the millennials and the boomers have a lot of similarities. The difference is that the boomers come from right-wrong. We had right, you know, if you remember, if you weren't against the war, you were wrong. Right. If you weren't for civil rights, you were wrong. If you weren't for women's, you know, freedom and rights, you were wrong. I mean, and you were them. Yeah. And it was an us versus them time. There was no gray. The, no gray at all. And, and, you know, and, and there were people that assassinated people. We lived through, yeah. I mean, the, you know, I think we all remember where we were when Kennedy was assassinated. Absolutely. And the, and the personal, we took it personally. Right, we this did. Was his, he was our president. Right. 
And the same with um, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King and RFK to a great extent. And RFK well. too, yeah. I mean, it was, and you yeah. and you kept moving along. We were making progress, making progress, and then all of a sudden, something like that would happen, and it just mm -hmm. pulled the rug out, and you had to get back up again. Right, and we did. And we did. Yeah. And I think so. What I got, there was something about that, um, and I, I don't know that I could point to what there was about the town, but it certainly put out a bunch of us, in that mm -hmm. year at least, that were up to making a difference and felt we could. Yes, and felt we could. Yes. And that we needed to. It was a, uh, yes, very it was, much so. Yeah, it was a compelling need. Yes. It was something that we, we couldn't think about our personal goals uh, it was something we had to do for the yeah. country and for just the uh, freedoms uh, that we felt were important and, and, and uh, that's really i mean <laughs> i think that sense of ethics and what's right and what's wrong yep it pervades us i mean my you know this was a trip that we had planned um, a year ago to the four of us, my wife and my two kids, to go on this trip exactly to go up to Albany and come across and visit Easton and to be back here and share uh -huh. this town with my family. And we were in Albany, and my father-in-law um, ran into some medical issues, and my wife, just for good reasons, decided to stay and be with him and help him. And we needed to move on. We had already had the hotels paid for, and <clears throat> I didn't want the kids stuck in Albany for the entire week. Yeah. And I wanted to see Easton. And she was, um, her initial reaction, aren't you mad? Aren't you angry that I'm not with you? And I said, no, I'm disappointed. Clearly, I'd love to have you here. But you're where you're supposed to be. Right. Um, yeah. And there's a, I'm not bragging about myself, but I think there was a sense of, of ethics. That it's that right, it's that value. Yes, right. That's the thing. Right. It's the value that that enables us to um, handle stuff. And make the right choices. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah. right choices. Is, I think it's, uh, I, I mean, it depends on what our values are, but um, it, um, I certainly feel like it does. I mean, I, I, why would I get angry at her for doing, uh, right. disappointment is one thing, right. but anger, right. you know, no. that would say she's doing the wrong thing, and she's not. She's exactly. doing exactly the right thing even though it doesn't work out the way I think it should. Mm. And I think those are the kind of values that we had. And we went into, you know, we were a cusp generation in a large part mm. um, between the silence and the, and the boomers. Right. Um, you know, the silence where that's compromise, and we came in, no compromise. How can I compromise civil rights? Right. I mean, what? Mm. <laughs> what, we're going to be, we're going to discriminate just a little bit? Right. And then also then, you know, um, we were, even though we were raised in a town that um, had really only one black family, uh, mm. and that was the Heinzes. Mm. And um, I recently realized that um, Pat Hines was in my late sister Corin's class. She was a year behind us. And, uh, but I knew her sister Eleanor, who was a year ahead. She was in the class of 59. Um, because we sang in the chorus together. And Miss Ashley, who was the only uh, yes. African-American teacher, teacher in the right. system, I mean, she was wonderful, and we all loved her. Yep. And um, anyway, the variety I, shows that we put on. I remember the football yeah. team put on a, I, God, was it the 
we did dancing in the tulips or something like that. Oh, no kidding. And we all, uh, and so all the, the, particularly the line, we got dressed up in tutus and stuff like that. Oh, yes, I remember that. And yeah. there was some, and there, we picked some kid who was the, the smallest, you know, skinniest kid, and he was the tulip or something like that. Yeah. And we were, and we were dancing. Oh, yeah, we had. Well, she was a was, lot of fun. And it was she the would... question is, how much could we get away with yeah, right. in that variety show <laughs> before she clamped? And she tried. She actually gave us a lot of latitude, but right. um, yeah, she was she was someone who appreciated humor and good fun, yeah. and uh, she was a wonderful chorus director. Um, but I remember um, that w that was the only uh, black family yeah. in town, and we were and, one of two Jewish families. And in you town. were, yeah. And uh, so I remember in uh, after I graduated college and uh, uh, was sort of out in the world that uh, I really and, and I got involved in the civil rights movement. That was when I enlarged my family of friends yes. and included blacks. Um, and my best friend today is a um, African-American uh, living in uh, San Diego, from Chicago originally, and uh, uh, one of the dearest people in my life. But um, that freed me in a way. Yeah. The, the, the values that we learned in East End freed me up uh, to um, expand my horizons and my, my relationships. So um, there was something that in our conversation that I just struck me, and because I've always said this about Easton, um, I felt safe, and this was a community. I, I felt taken care of here. You know? Yes, the, I, mean, I don't think a, there was discrimination here. No, no, not, no, not with us. There was not at all. But I'm, I'm I, beyond the differences. That were, I mean, I never felt it made any difference that I was Jewish. In fact, I went to the Unitarian Church for a while, uh -huh. um, and we all shared. It, it wasn't that. But I'm telling the town, I felt safe and taking like a cocoon or something in the town that I, I'm, I could, I'm sure that if there was, if I was a kid, walked downtown and something happened to me, everybody would do whatever they could do to take care of me. It wouldn't make any difference. Exactly. It was, it, I felt like I was safe here. Well, I think you, you, the community was like a family. Yes, exactly. And it was an extended family. And, I, and the police, for example, were, um, were the same. Um, I didn't realize until I interviewed Lee Anderson, whose father was Freddie Anderson, the mm -hmm. cop, um, that uh, they would, if, if somebody was caught and, and drinking and driving, uh, you know, they'd put him in the back of the cruiser, take the keys away, put him in the back of the cruiser, uh, and not go to the station. Right, take them to the family. Take them home. Oh, right, and exactly. On the, and on the way, give the lecture from hell. Right. And then when they got home, they got the discipline from hell. I remember, and, yeah. and And that's how they took care of, as, as Lee said, we took care of our own. Yes. We took care of our own. And those um, youngsters never repeated. It was that kind of, you know, you didn't see them driving, drinking ever again. Right. Because it was this family that cared, and uh, there was such respect I for that. I think that gave us, when we talked a few minutes ago about going out and changing the world, uh -huh. that gave us, I think there was something could coming, my kids aren't coming from that kind of environment. There's no small town. There's no yeah. town where we are. And, um, but coming from Easton, a, a town, and, uh, and this kind of town, um, and I, and I don't know whether you're going to get into your questions, but, I, but I'd love to talk about what it looks like to me today, coming back after 55 years. Okay. Um, Go right ahead, because I don't have any questions. Oh. 
Um, I mean, I have a lot of questions, depending on what you say. Well, but... I think it's what's, what's interesting to me is, uh, you know, we had a little bit of correspondence be right. before I came back. And, uh, and in fact, a number of people kept saying, oh, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. You'll be surprised at all the changes. And I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, there's some new buildings. And, um, but the town, to me, has the same kind of feeling as I remember when I grew up. It's there. In fact, in many ways, it's, um, it's better. I mean, you know, the, the depot is extraordinary. The, the shovel works. I mean, the buildings still look the same, and yet there's something new inside. But they didn't look that good when I was here. Um, the town is clean. It, you drive around, and you still get this. This is a place where people live. Right. And they're... It's not. It's not junky. It's not trashy. No. Um, it's people are taking care of it. I, I don't know. I, I get um, that feeling, and that's what was important to me to, in coming back here, was um, to see those places. Right. Um, that it was where, where it was safe to grow up, and yeah. and the, and the people were proud of living here and. And, and it was truly a community. Right. And, and to me, I still get that feeling when I come back. Well, here. good. I was away for 44 years, and I came back 12 years ago, and I had the same feeling. Yeah. And it's just like um, I, I never left. Yeah. And uh, it's wonderful to be a townie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it, are privileges yeah. uh, because you can speak with a little bit more authority, yeah. and you remember a lot. Not that we remember much that happened yesterday, but we do remember what happened in the past. Yeah. And, well, I'm uh, surprised to me, my, the, town, the house that I grew up in, it looks just the same. Yep. It yeah. looks exactly the same as it did when I... And it's still painted white. Still painted white with a red door. Yep. The only thing that's different is the barn's not there anymore. Yes. So the barn was in back, and now it's a big open field, Space. that I could say. Well, listen, Ivan, I, I know you've got to get to lunch at the farmer's daughter. Uh, yep, you still have time Good. to get there. Is there anything else you want to say? Um, Especially to your classmates? Well, um, I'm uh, delighted to be back in touch. Um, I didn't realize how much I had missed it and how much there was here. Yeah. I've actually appreciated the interview because it had me think about um, things I hadn't thought about, like where did I get who I am today? Yeah. And, uh, and how much this town meant. I mean, just the fact that on this trip, it was important for me to come back here. Mm -hmm. you know, and this day was important, too. Well, it's wonderful to see you. And Thank it's you. been great for all of us. Now, we're going to, some of us are going to meet at the, the Chateau in Norton tonight for supper. And, um, uh, and so we'll reminisce some more. I bet. But I want to thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. It's You're been so great. welcome. And so Ivan Rosenberg, class of, Oliver Ames, class of 1960, star um, uh, defensive tackle and offensive tackle, uh, we and uh, entrepreneur uh, extraordinaire. Thank you so much, and thank you, uh, listeners at home. We hope that you have enjoyed this uh, interview, growing up in Easton, as much as we have enjoyed uh, doing it. Thank you again, and until next time. Bye bye. <laughs>